Hi, this is Tamika Kasten-Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Think, Flow, Grow. Actually, it's a skip a week because I was moving. So I'm in a new surroundings in a new area. And it has been an incredible lesson on, wow, just on all of the things that I have. <laughs> Actually made a post that said that, um, Moving is a great way to find out how you failed uh, the Marie Kondo method. I tell you, I never realized I had so many things. And of course, all of those things mean getting rid of things. For those of you who don't know, there is a person, I mean, where have you been if you don't know this, but for those of you who don't know, there's a woman by the name of Marie Kondo. She is a uh, Japanese woman who is very much informed by Shinto um, spirituality, who wrote a book called The Marie Kondo Method, and she then had a Netflix episode which premiered on the 1st of January in which she discusses um, and shows her method and how it has worked for homes here um, in the U.S. She went through several homes and used her method to help people essentially eliminate anything that didn't um, bring them joy. So she calls this sparking joy. And if you're not familiar, essentially what her plan is, is for you to actually take an item in your hands and identify whether or not it sparks joy. And if it does, then you keep that item. And if it doesn't, then you thank the item for its, um, its participation in your life. And then you, you let it go. So when I was introduced to Marie Kondo, it was actually on a trip, um, from California to Texas and I was really getting tired of driving and really getting bored. And uh, so we just started to watch all of these uh, videos and, and one was this. And so I was introduced to the method. And of course, um, somewhere between like Amarillo and Dallas, then I realized that I had to do this when we got home. When we got home, we immediately walked in and I, and I announced that we were condoing everything. And so the very next day we started the condo method and, um, you start with clothes and then from clothes, because of course we, we get very attached to our clothes. So you start with clothes and then from clothes then you go to other items. She has a very specific method for specific reasons, but I will say that after condoing clothes, everything else gets easier. When I was doing this condo method for clothes, I did realize that I was actually holding on to uh, what I call unicorns, which are clothes that either that that actually have never fit, but that I hoped to wear in the future. And so there were items that were very much my style, um, but for well, and for one reason or another, I wanted them, and I, I was probably um, on some sort of plan to lose weight or what have you. And I bought it knowing that eventually it would look good on me. 
It was absolutely incredible to see how many of these items I had that had tags still on them. I had never worn them, and I don't know if I ever hit a weight to wear them and look good at the, in them or not, but what I do know is that they were taking up a lot of space in my closet, and I had this huge revelation because I was, I was really having a difficulty getting rid of them. And I had this huge revelation that I was just holding on to them, not out of hope, but out of shame. It was an incredible revelation for me to realize that essentially I had shamed myself into how I should look, how much I should weigh, and that these clothes had become representations of all that hadn't been realized that I thought would be realized at one point. I didn't even realize how this was... Um, how this was playing out for me until I was having a conversation with a friend who actually had done the opposite. So he had been heavy before and he was holding on to all of his, his quote fat clothes because he wanted them in the case that he ever got there again. Now my friend is extremely fit and it was a, it was a big, uh, awakening for me to even know that he had been heavier um, at some point, that he had been a heavy person, because no one would look at him and assume that he had had a weight transformation. But the other thing was, it was interesting to see kind of the other side of that coin of this kind of fear of gaining weight and holding on to items in the case that that weight came back. Whereas I was holding on to things in the case that I lost weight. And I started to think about all of the people who potentially do this. In fact, I got the term unicorn from a friend who is, uh, again, a very fit friend um, who was probably a size four, size six, uh, U.S. sizing. Um, I would say probably closer to a four, maybe even a two. And she had unicorns in her closet. And this is the person who gave me this term. And I thought to myself, how often do we hold on to these things? And why would we allow for them to live there knowing, and perhaps we don't know, but they, they, they are reminders of shame. Shame for what we haven't been able to manifest for one reason, shape, or form. And we feel a certain kind of way about that. There's a yogic philosophy called Saucha. It's a part of the eight limbs of yoga. And in the eight limbs of yoga, essentially you have the, the yamas, niyamas, pranayama. You have all of these ways in which we are able to do yoga. And most people assume that yoga is simply movement because if you look at uh, media, social media, and things like that, then, then when people are, quote, doing yoga, they are doing an asana or a movement, a posture. But in fact, as I've mentioned before, there are eight limbs of yoga, and in the eight limbs of yoga, movement is only one of those. Um, I mentioned this in my episode with River, and, um, and we can really get caught up with, um, with, with just that limb of yoga, what we can do and what we can't do. When there are all of these other ways of doing and living yoga. And so when we look at the eight limbs of yoga, so just to, just to give you an idea, um, they are essentially uh, the first limb, which is yamas, um, 
is all about like disciplines and whereas niyamas are about observances and or or actions that we can take and salcha is one of those actions one of those niyamas and in those um in the action of salcha it's about cleanliness now we can utilize um a very basic or um a very fun fundamental understanding of cleanliness as simply being clean before you approach the practice so for example whenever you're going to go practice asana yoga asana or movement before you go to a yoga studio actually being clean before you arrive because the thought is that when you're arriving into a shala or practice space, you're arriving in space where people are doing big work and, and entering clean is, is important. Um, even if you don't have a lot of time, even a, a change of clothes and a quick rinse is, is an important aspect of, uh, especially of practicing with a community. And uh, as a yoga teacher, I've certainly been in situations in which someone did not practice Saucha before a class and it informed the entire class because the room then takes on the smell of that one person. So Saucha is something that is important, especially in a group setting, but also it's not just about, you know, that physical act of cleanliness. It is also about the emotional and the spiritual act of cleanliness. How then can we implement Saucha in our lives? And so, of course, one of those options is to keep mental hygiene. I've referred to this before in previous episodes in which we keep a cleansing of, of what it is that we bring into the minefield, um, what it is that we bring in in terms of social media, books, TV, movies, music, all of the things that can then turn a simple act of watching something or listening to something into a shame spiral about things that haven't been realized or feelings of being less than, feelings of being deficient. And of course, all ad space is meant for that. All ad space is meant to tell you what you need in order to be happy. And news is meant to tell you why you should be fearful so that then ad space can be sold so that you can then be happy and forget what your fears are. This is all a way of satiating the external. And we, if we're doing the work, we know that satiating the superficial or the external is not going to be a way of actually cultivating joy. Joy is something that has to happen on a deeper level. In, in fact, this is, there's an actual bliss body, which is a, a talk for another time. But in order to get to that bliss body or that bliss state, we've got to go through many layers of which the superficial or the food body or the, 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 the outer sheath is just the first layer. So trying to satiate that with food, alcohol, drugs, sex, codependent relationships, these are, these are not ways to actually cultivate joy in our lives. There was a TED talk by a gentleman who talked about how we have approached addiction in in the wrong way because we're approaching addiction by shaming people's behaviors with um, the addicting item instead of looking at the root cause of why people are addicted to opioids, alcohol, drugs, sugar, um, plastic surgery, whatever the case may be. 
And the root cause of that is loneliness or lack of connection, a lack of purpose in life. Again, speaking to the fact that we can't really appease anything using the superficial layer of the self, we have to go deeper and actually um, come to an awareness of what the soul needs, what the heart needs, what this heart space is. This is why meditation is so important because it allows us to pull back those layers and get to that heart space to ask the heart what it is that it wants and then to listen. So coming back to uh, this concept of saucha and mental hygiene, mental hygiene is of course a, a phenomenal way to clear out things from coming into the mind space. And when they do come in, because they do come in, because we don't live in a bubble, to utilize meditation and yoga asana to cleanse ourselves of what we've seen. Um, this is actually another a limb of yoga or another uh, a yama of yoga being tapas or the discipline of our practice helps to burn off the, the karmas or the, the energy, the negative things that we've taken on. Um, so that we can be be free of those um, mind grooves, also called samskaras. And so when we come to Saucha, that's, that's a mental way and perhaps even an emotional, spiritual way of cleansing. I would say that also a spiritual way of cleansing is reading texts and participating in communities that are giving, that are joy giving, that, that speak to your heart. Um, and this can be spiritual communities like churches or synagogues or temples but sometimes also these communities as we know are not are not areas of joy um and they're they're actual areas of shame and the interesting thing is that we can come into a space if if we have already committed mentally to uh, a shadow concept in which i i do not deserve something or i do not belong or i am less than, I am deficient, I am not loved, I am not worthy, then when we go to these communities that, that actually say those words and speak to that shadow self, we could actually use those communities to actually feed that, that shadow self or that unrealized, unmanifested version of ourselves. This is a reason why people stay in communities that demean them because they actually speak to and feed that that dark side that hasn't been embraced that hasn't been brought into light for examination and so people stay in spaces that are demeaning um one example of this that you know may frustrate people but i'm speaking my truth because my throat chakra is open is log cabin republicans um, not that the, the GOP is um, a bad entity and the Democrats are good in it, none of that. I'm, I'm not speaking in binaries. However, when log cabin Republicans recently came out to endorse the 45th president of the United States who is actively working against LGBTQ people's rights, when a group of people actively are advocating for someone who demeans them on a daily basis and uses that community as a bargaining chip or as a way of creating angst and ire and, and, and 
putting harm into the world that is a community that has not realized its shadow self and is embracing a person or a group that is directly demeaning them and speaking to their shadow selves. I would suggest that all of those people who could endorse that need to do a cleansing of the mind, spirit, and emotions to come to a, a, a revelation about what it is that their heart truly wants and to really examine that because every human desires connection. And so if we have a, a person who is representative of division, then we're, and, and that is what is being supported, then that certainly is um, an unrealized or an unmanifested and unenlightened version of self that would support that. So coming back to other ways in which we can salcha our lives is also by, by the emotional aspect. The socio-emotional aspect is huge and it's very important and this is who we bring into our lives. The funny thing about when I started to condo my home, I also started to condo the rest of my life. It wasn't even a month later. At the time when, when I started this, I I'd actually thought that I was going to be going into a PhD a doctoral program in which I was going to be very, very busy and my mind was going to be very occupied for the next at least five years. Although it was really important for me and it still is very important for me to engage my brain in that way. A friend of mine challenged me with asking, is that really the way your path to engaging your mind? Is that really the path that you have to take to do what it is that you're interested in doing? And then my spouse who knows me better than anyone said, is this just another opportunity for you to collect more paper? Talk about speaking to a shadow characteristic that hadn't yet been re realized. You know, I, I did realize that I, I do love the paper. I love the degrees. Um, so the question was why? And I had to cleanse that out of my system because I realized that it went back to a very old tape or a very old um, a lie that I, that, I, that I used to tell myself which was that I needed to be the best in the room. So for me, the best meant adding on degrees. And so when it was about a month after we started condoing, and FYI, this is not an ad for condoing. This is just, this is just talking about clearing space to actually see your life in a way that's honest. And so much of what is actually in our lives is, is filled with clutter and we can't really see anything while that clutter is around. So when I started decluttering my life, I, I realized that there was more than one way to do what it was that I wanted to do to participate in the world in the way that I wanted to participate, to continue educating in the way that I wanted to educate. And by me entering into a doctoral program, which would take so much of my time, it would actually take away the opportunities that I was looking to manifest for myself. 
like engaging in my community, engaging in the larger community, like spending time with myself in order to shed some of these layers that I have been accruing physical layers and spiritual layers that have been separating me from my manifested self, my fully realized self. And in order to continue transcending, it was important for me to actually step way outside of my comfort zone and not use a doctoral program to utilize or to justify the utilization of my mind, but to allow for my mind to continue to feed on itself and to and to use the intellect and the knowledge and all of this, the history, all of the study that I've been doing for the last 20 years to use that information, to go back and, and actually use it. It's funny because in this time that I've, I've been doing this, um, I'm actually using my, my first degree, which is hilarious because I never thought I would use it. And I finally am. Um, just by virtue of having uh, uh, ways in which I engage through um, radio, through film, video, and all of that, I'm using a, a radio, television, film degree, essentially a film degree, um, that I never thought I would use. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the, the degree. And now I'm actually using it because I've cleared space in order to begin using all of the characteristics and all of the knowledge that I've been cultivating. So coming back to friends, how can then we, how can we continue to do this in a way in which we are in a more tangible way? And I will tell you that condoing friends or decluttering friends, decluttering influencers in, in my life has been a huge and beautiful process. Um, decluttering the need to keep people in, in, my, in your life beyond their natural cycle, um, this is an extraordinary way of, of cultivating joy. Every, as we all know, everyone has a cycle or a, a period um, that they'll be with us. And sometimes it's going to be super short and other times it's, it's going to be years long, maybe even a lifelong uh, or most of our lives. But there are going to, going to be the, the comings and the goings of, of every human in our lives. And in that coming and going, I mean we are being trained to lose people all the time if we really, really look at it because we have friends who move, we have um, pets that pass away, we have situations that we, we leave and, and jobs that we leave. I mean, who has their very first job still at the age of 45, right? I mean, we're constantly coming and going and learning how to let things go. And we forget that we are being trained to do that because we don't apply that to people in our lives. A friend of mine who's a, a healer and a seer, you know, she, she told uh, someone in my life, you will not have the relationship that you're looking for until you end your previous cycle with the previous person. And I thought about that, like relationships as cycles. We do know that there are seasons and, and that are cyclical, but perhaps we haven't recognized that there are also people who are cyclical in our lives. 
or, or cyclical seasons of people. And when a cycle is, is, is at its end, holding on to that person beyond their natural, um, the natural end to them in our lives is certainly a way to cause suffering. And this speaks to something that I've spoken to previously about clashes, which are the ways that, that suffering is caused. And this is by holding on or being attached to things. Now, now, mind you, the enlightened ones would say we shouldn't attach to anything. And I am not there. I certainly have the things that I love, the people I love, and it would be really hard for me to let people I love and who love me back go. And certainly I have attachments to those relationships. I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't have that. I would make a very bad Buddhist. But what I will say is that um, by holding on to people who are not affirming, who are not loving, by holding on to jobs that do not give us back anything back or that take too much from us, that cross boundaries of time and balance, why? Why are we holding on to those things? What is it that we're actually holding on to? And oftentimes these are actually just manifestations of fear that what happens if I walk away from this person? Or what happens if I walk away from this job? What happens if I let this friend go? So Marie Kondo would say, well, it's, you're not actually like, you know, throwing that relationship or that job or that person away. You thank it or her or him for what they have taught you or what they've been in your life and you let it go. And this Letting something go is, is a lifelong learning for people. Oftentimes we just have to let things be before we can let things go. But when we are ready to let things go and when the signs are there to let them go, it's time to soucha that person or that, that situation. There's an episode on this show that, um, that the, the, the sky like me had, all of these clothes and, and shoes that he'd never worn. And, um, and so he was like, but I haven't worn these things. And she said, well, you still thank it. You thank it for teaching you that you don't like that. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is fantastic. I mean, if I think about all of the superfluous things in my life or all of the extra in my life that I've never actually used, I can say, you know what? Thank you for teaching me that I don't actually need you in my life or that I actually, you're not the type of person that I want in my life. Thank you for teaching me that I am a person who deserves and wants more than what you're able to provide for me right now. When it came for me leaving secondary education after 12 years, it was a difficult situation to walk away from. However, it wasn't difficult to make the decision, if that makes sense. The way that I work is a way in which I'm 100% in at all times. And being 100% in is really tiring when you have more than one passion. So I have a passion for educating school-age kids, and I also have a passion for yoga and educating all of humanity. And I realized that I could educate that, that kids are a part of humanity. So I can educate them in terms of, through the auspices of yoga and still participate in mentoring and, and loving and being a part of their lives. And so when it came to saying goodbye to secondary education, it wasn't like, you know what, I'm out, peace out, my drop, I'm leaving. 
It was, thank you so much for having given me the opportunity to be a part of more than 2,000 children's lives over these last 12 years and being able to love them when they needed love, affirm them when they needed affirming, to create safe spaces for them, to allow them space to be exactly who they were without shame, and to hopefully give them some life lessons that had them step into a more empowered version of themselves. And perhaps they also learned Spanish. But <laughs> this was certainly a joy and it was time for that cycle to end because the balance between my life um, and my, my work life and my my home life, and my, my growing passions, um, they were just out of balance. I just couldn't do it anymore. So when it comes to Saucha, there are many ways to approach this and approach it. I believe that when we are in a situation in which we know that it is not a good situation for us, and let me just say that we don't always know that situations aren't good for us. When we know that a situation is no longer serving us or a person is no longer serving us, at that moment, it's time to create the exit plan. I believe that when we stay in those situations and relationships, that is our own self, that is self-flagellation. That is a, a punishment that is self-inflicted. And I think what needs to happen in that moment is to get curious about why. Why do I or would I stay in a situation or relationship that is not affirming, that is not joy-giving, that is not edifying? Why would I stay there? What is the unmanifested or unrealized part of me, the shadow part of myself, that this situation is feeding because I know it's not for me. I know that I'm better off without it and yet I am choosing, I am in agency and I am choosing to stay. Now I have been in very impoverished situations in my life. I have, my when I was young we went from riches to rags and I have fluctuated throughout both of those circumstances after being an adult. And what I will say, what I acknowledge is that situations aren't always exitable, immediately exitable situations. I have certainly found myself in a job in which I realized that job was no longer for me and I couldn't just walk away from the job. I didn't have it like that. I didn't have thousands of dollars in the bank to be able to do that. I had a child. I was a single mom. I couldn't just walk away from the situation like that. I have been in the witness to um, friends who have been in abusive relationships in which, you know, the, the fear was real. You know, how do they get out of those situations without um, the 
feeling of letting other people down um, without just the simple fear of walking away because certainly there is a lot of fear in just walking away. So please know that I'm not speaking from a point of ignorance and privilege at all. What I am saying is that it's time to create an exit strategy. So in those situations in which I knew I needed to change my job because my job was either doing damage to me. My very first job out of call out, out of college actually was um, one in which it was a discriminatory environment. Um, I was working for not only uh, a sexist uh, boss, but also had latent racist tendencies and was was very. Um, he was very fragile. I'll just put it like that. And, um, and he had issues with someone actually being as good as him because it felt it threatened him for his job. Now, here's the thing there. Look, can I just say that not everyone wants your job or your life or your situation? You know, this whole fragility thing about people wanting what you have. Can we just move on from that? That is your work to get over that. Not everyone wants what you have. Not, what you have isn't for everyone. And if someone does want what you have, then that's their work to work that out. But this whole fragility thing and this whole competitive thing, and, and you know, and I'm speaking as someone who is quite competitive or has been competitive in my life, you know, as a recovering competitive person, let that go. It, it just, it does no one any good. And we start seeing everything from the filter through the filter of some, of someone having more than you or wanting what you have. It's just, it's crap. And the reality is that most people don't want what you have. And if they do, like I said, if they do want what you have, then, then they need to do their own self-work that has nothing to do with you. So when I realized that, 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 boss was, um, was essentially trying to push me out because I quote threatened his, um, his position. I was right about to buy a house. I was so excited about it because I've been financially unstable all throughout my college years. Um, it was just really, really a difficult life. And finally I was in a point in which I was going to buy a house. I was so excited about it. And, I knew that if I lost this job, I wasn't going to be able to buy the house. So what to do? Do I lose the house or the idea of a house or and stay in this situation? Or do I walk away from all of it? And I was not, I was not that old, but something in me told me to walk away from all of it. And I, I am so thankful that I got that download. I got that information because I did. And I walked away from it. I walked away from the city, um, and the whole nine yards. And I found a lot of abundance in my next situation. And that entire office ended up shutting down. And that man ended up losing his job because obviously I wasn't the only person who realized that he was, he was sexist. So, a lawsuit later and all of those things later, um, you know, he was fired and the, the, the company shut, the door shut. And meanwhile, I was in a pretty lucrative situation in a new city, a new situation. 
I can only imagine what would have happened if I would have bought that house, which would have overextended me a bit. That was This was the 90s, and so that's what people did. Um, just a, a month or two after I made that decision, the housing bubble burst, and that is when everyone's paradigm shifted, all finances shifted, and I would have been in the middle of that if I would not have walked away from that situation. I would have lost that house. There is no way that I would have kept that house because I was in a tech city. I was in Austin, and all of Austin was suffering unless you had copious amounts of money, and I just was not there yet. So it's incredible with hindsight now seeing, you know, that the entire time I was being pushed out of that, that comfort zone by the natural flow of what God, goddess, the divine spirit was trying to tell me, which was to leave that situation. There was another life for me somewhere else. And the city to which I moved was Houston. And in Houston, I have made a, a phenomenal life for myself and met the person who I ended up marrying and, and all of those things. So there is a reason to walk away from and saucha or to cleanse those situations that no longer serve us because until we do, we will not be able to move to what is next for us. We have to finish our cycles before we can move into the next one. Take a comfortable seat or lying down position in preparation for meditation. Begin to notice your breath. Notice the inhalation. Where does the inhalation begin? Notice your exhalation. How long is your exhalation? Start your breath at the chest. Take a full deep inhale. And as you exhale, notice your chest fall. And now inhale into the upper belly. Exhale, notice the ribs contract. And inhale into your lower belly. Fill the low belly like a balloon. Allow for your breath to travel all the way back up and out through your nostrils. Do that again. Fill your low belly with breath. Notice the pelvic floor press down. And exhale out through your mouth. Now draw your inhale to the crown of your head. Notice the cooling sensation of your inhale. Exhale out through your nose. Do that again. Inhale to the crown of your head. And slowly exhale. 
Breathe into the space behind your heart. Exhale and allow the shoulders to melt down your back. Take a full inhale, this time filling all directions, low belly, upper belly, chest and head. And as you exhale, the entire body goes back to rest mode. Inhale, fill up head, chest, upper belly, lower belly. Exhale, side body comes back to a relaxed state. Continue breathing and notice where you feel more sensations. Do you notice sensations in your head? Your pelvic floor? Your back, chest, or shoulders? And give your breath all of your awareness in this moment. Perhaps see this awareness as the color blue. A brilliant turquoise blue. Notice your awareness or your breath going through your nostrils and traveling throughout your body. And as you exhale, you notice this color leaving you again. Notice your breath settling in around the throat. And give your throat or this awareness a color that color blue that you saw earlier. This is the throat chakra. And not only is the throat chakra responsible for speaking of truth, but it is also the house of purification. Notice any sensations that are here in your throat. Notice your breath, sense its texture. And continue to just notice the breath in the throat chakra, sapphire blue, purifying breath that is also the space for truth. Now bring your awareness to your heart center. 
Fill for breath, filling the space right above the heart. Sense the heart in a cavity and fill breath, filling the space all around the heart, front, sides, and back. Above and below the heart, there's also space. Fill that with breath as well. Give your awareness the color green. The color of your heart chakra. Perhaps even since the beating of your heart. Notice where the color green and the color sapphire blue meet between your throat chakra and your heart chakra. Sense how they inform one another. Your heart's truth, pure love informs your ability to speak truth, to cleanse what comes inside of you and to let out cleansing pure thoughts and words and deeds. And give a different framework to the word pure. This is not the purity that people would talk about, about actions that give others the opportunity to give you the label of pure, but rather you sensing your heart's pure truth. And ask your heart, what is it that it most deeply desires? Listen to your heart. Your heart might not speak in words, but rather images. Perhaps the heart shows you what it needs and what it desires. Listen. Now utilize the words of your heart to create an intention for yourself in the present tense as though it is already happening. Perhaps it is, perhaps it is, I listen to my heart. I abide in its truth. It can be anything that your heart actually said, but it is stated in the present. Say that to yourself right now as truth. 
take a full breath in and state it again. And last time, take a full breath in, a full belly breath, and state your heart's truth. Bring into your mind's eye all of the people who help live that truth, all of the situations that help live that truth. Who in your life affirms your heart's truth? Who holds you accountable to your heart's vision and goals? What does the lifestyle look like? What does your life look like as you abide in your heart's truth? Notice the people or things that are coming to the end of their cycle in your life that are no longer affirming or giving who do not help you cultivate joy. Bring those situations and people into your mind's eye. Thank each one for what it or he or she or they have taught you. Discern what is the lesson that you have received from that person. The lesson about yourself or about life and give thanks for that person or that situation's role in your life. And now visualize yourself saying goodbye to that person or that situation. And if you need to take an additional step here to vision what needs to happen, what are the steps to take to let that go, vision that as well. and then let them go. Like dust in the wind, they fall away out into the ether and allow for spirit to take that away for you, to know what to do with that energy. You don't have to be responsible for knowing what to do with that situation. And now give yourself gratitude for having done the work to speak your truth and to see what is clean in your world, what is 
pure in your world, your heart's truth. And now see yourself as pure light. Give yourself a color and see yourself as that light. Let light fill you all the way from the tips of your toes to the crown of your head. And on each inhale, your light grows bigger. And each exhale, it grows brighter. Abide in your true nature for a moment here. Now bring awareness back to the rise and fall of your belly with breath. Deepen your breath. Begin to wiggle your fingers and your toes. Move your head from side to side or whatever feels good. And on your ready, open your eyes. Know that you are always an agency and you are always co-creating your reality. Stepping into the pureness of your heart's energy is the heart's truest desire and it's the truest and purest part of you. It is always my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. If you would like information on how to create steps to step into a vision or create a vision for your life's work or joy, please give me a message, shoot me a message so that I may help you with that or direct you to people who can do that. I can be reached at tamika at asheyoga.com. And it is my life's work to help people come back to their selves, their truth, and their own healing because you have that power innately within you right now. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on Think, Flow, Grow.